on the unhealthy days, I am helping others so that I then get something in return. That's actually, I would say, in an unhealthy day. I'm helping somebody so that I then get something in return. The healthy days are when I help others win, period, right? I'm not so concerned with what will be the byproduct of me helping someone else. I just help someone else win, period. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. I think I've said it before on this program that one of the rhythms that I have for my own personal growth is what I call a monthly learning lunch. I find a leader or a person in the community that I deeply respect, admire, and want to learn from, and I ask them if I can buy them coffee or lunch and just pepper them with questions. And it was a couple weeks ago that I had one of those learning lunches with today's guest, Tim. Sure. Now, I had coincided with Tim uh, kind of peripherally in my work at Entree Leadership because he was the COO at StoryBrand and worked closely with Donald Miller to grow that business to what it is today. However, what I didn't know is that when I sat down with him for lunch, he shared with me that his time as the COO at StoryBrand uh, was coming to a close and he was stepping into some really exciting new things that we're going to talk about here in today's conversation. What's so cool is that I think one of the hallmarks of a high character and high caliber individual is their ability to leave well. And it's just so cool to see how Tim has left the story brand organization in great shape and how Don continues to be an avid supporter and champion of Tim and everything that he's going to do. And so today we dive a little bit into what Tim is focused on in his newest book, The Secret Society of Success. And really, we get into what it looks like to shift your paradigm on what success actually is. So I'm sure y'all are familiar with the story of Apollo 11. You have Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But what a lot of people don't know, there's actually a third astronaut on that mission, and his name was Michael Collins. So here you have Michael Collins, the guy Ubers, Neil and Buzz to the moon, drops them (laughs) off so that they can do these various tasks on the moon surface. And then he orbits the moon something like 26 times until the guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. And what would make this a pretty miserable story is if he gets back and, and sitting down with the press would say something like, well, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon. You know, it somehow <laughs> acted like a victim. We, we would hate that. But yet, we would all kind of empathize with them and be like, I get it, right? Like, I, I could see how you would arrive there. It'd be such a human response. But what makes it a beautiful story is he did not respond that way. In fact, what he said was how content he was to have had one of those three seats. He was happy to be part of the mission as a whole. So the question that I have is, why is it that culturally so many of us feel this pressure and and this thought that in order to be successful, we have to actually walk on the moon? Mm -hmm. Do we have to step into the spotlight, climb the ladder, be the boss, whatever that looks like to be happy and to be successful? And while I've been feeling this pressure that that is to the path that I should follow, 
I've actually found that me settling to a role behind the scenes and, and being a part of the team is what's brought about you know, meaning and fulfillment in my life and my career. But I wasn't always in that headspace. There was a long time that I actually too you know, believed the lie that I needed money, fame, power to be happy, to be successful. But what I've discovered is there's this secret society of people that I call the secret society of success that have shown me a new way to live and a new way to define success that looks a little bit differently from that. What's interesting about this group of people is some of them are actually, you know, some of the top people in business, in the spotlight. They couldn't be more in the spotlight. But there's also a lot of people in the secret society are people who've never even heard of. So what I've found is it's not so much about position or visibility, not about our position on an org chart, but what separates those in the secret society is really the mentality and the way that they choose to go about doing their, their work that uh, makes them so you know, impactful and inspiring to me. So it's this group of people that's you know, caused me to ask some different questions, which is what is success? Because if it's not this, if it's not money, fame, and power, what is it? And so this group of people has started to show me these new ways to define it that to me have been more meaningful and fulfilling and, and sustainable as I've started to kind of head in, in that direction. Mm. Man, Tim, just in the conversations that we've had, one of the things that I always come away with is just the idea that like, man, Tim has a lot of books in him. Like there are a lot of books that are inside <laughs> of Tim that are waiting to come out. I think one of the things that I want to know is why, why is this the first book and why now? Like why the timing of this book, right? Yeah. You know, as I was writing this book, you know, I've, uh, Donald Miller, I worked with him for almost a decade. You know, he talked a lot about writing, and, you know, in, in all the years that I've you know, known him. And, you know, when writing a book, he says, you kind of have to obsess over an idea for a couple of years. So I was doing this as like a side project. I just had this dream of one day writing a book. So it actually was five years from the time that I actually raised my hand and said, I have a dream. I want to write a book, not really even knowing uh, the path that that ultimately would take me on. I just wanted to accomplish it just for fun. But what I found, though, was me asking the question, what, what is it that I could write about? What is it that is so interesting to me that I feel like I then would want to research this for as long as is required to put together a research project like this? Um, and what is it that I feel like I have some authority in? And I just was so inspired by all these different stories of people who you know, we're just living a little bit differently from what I was seeing. So I started to almost assemble this thing, this piece, and, and it just started to really resonate with me as somebody behind the scenes to find these examples of people. It's like, oh, wait, so I don't have to try to be that person in the spotlight to be happy. I can actually be a member of the team. This is amazing. And so I just the more stories, the more that I was hearing success talked about, the problem of success the more I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's something here. There's, there's a lot of people talking about it, but I don't really feel like there's any solutions. So the book for me is really my attempt at saying there is this cultural narrative that is happening right now, but also this is a conversation that's been happening for 2,000 years. You know, there's yeah, a story. Maybe uh, more, maybe more than that. Exactly. <laughs> there's this, a, a story that I think is so interesting about the disciples, right? Like, mm over 2,000 years ago, talking about and arguing about who would be greatest among them. Mm. That's the same thing that we're still talking about. So I feel like the time is now, and this is such an evergreen topic, but I really think 
there's so many pressures for us to do and become and more opportunities all around us that wouldn't it be great if we could all save years on our life, not having to chase this path that leads us to unhappiness. And if I could provide some help, some guidance, some lessons that I've learned along the way that I can kind of curate into a book to hand somebody and say, I wish I would have had this book 15 years ago because I think it could have mm -hmm. saved me a lot of heartache. And I think it's really going to save a lot of people, you know, some heartache if they really can start to, you know, look at things a little bit differently than they are today. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the difference between results. So from your perspective, like if, if you follow the culture's narrative of success, what are the results that that creates? Yeah. So are you saying like money, fame, power? Is it like in chasing that, what, what happens if that's the path? That's right. Like what, and, and you said like unhappiness is ultimately the result. We want to yeah. avoid that, but like, what does that actually look like? What does that actually feel like? Why is that worth avoiding? So there was a season in my life when I wanted to be the next John Mayer. And so here I was, you know, this is when I was in college and what I wanted was the fame. I just was like, oh my gosh, that. I didn't ever really want to become a musician to help people. I was just like, I want to be famous. And what's so interesting is I jump into all of that and I walk into a room and I you know, would maybe get a chance to play in front of a group of people. And the whole time, all I'm thinking about is, I wonder if these people like me. And I'm now trying to convince all these people that I am worthy and valuable and that I, I have something that they all should get behind and support. And you know, what I found is that kind of puts you into a pretty unhealthy headspace. And in the book, I talk about we're all up against the spotlight mindset, which is this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. And so the spotlight mindset actually can play out in a lot of different ways. And I'd actually love to just kind of walk you through a few of them because I think for us to identify the problem, that's a key part. That self-awareness is part in us actually starting to head towards the solution. So when I was in that season of my life, the spotlight mindset looked like comparison for me. It's me looking at the people around me and measuring my own success and value against other people. But there's another way that the spotlight mindset can play out. It's in striving. So it's like, are you finding contentment in your life? Are you kind of on this endless pursuit for more? So striving is a you know, symptom of the spotlight mindset. Comparison is a symptom of the spotlight mindset. But there's so many more. Damaged relationships, I'd actually say, is a, you know, a symptom of the spotlight mindset. So is the thing that you are pursuing actually causing damage and with the people that maybe you value the most? There's a story I talk about in the book, Michael Hyatt, who you know, now is somebody who I really respect and admire. And he talks about how he had the opportunity to take a big job at Nelson Books. And at the time, Nelson Books, uh, which ironically is it's the imprint of my book. It's, it's actually the publisher that I'm using to get this book out of the world. Michael was uh, stepping in to, to run that, that division. So Nelson Books was last in the various Thomas Nelson imprints in all categories, morale, results, all of that. So Michael says to the, the then CEO, I can turn this thing around and I'll do it in three years. Well, in 18 months, he actually turned it around in half the time that he had expected. So here he was walking home with the biggest check that he had actually ever received. His bonus check was larger than his paycheck because of the results that he had brought in. And his wife sat him down and said, we need to talk. And he thought 
that he was going to just be getting high fives celebrated because he had been so successful. His wife was his biggest fan, and yet he comes home with this bonus check, and she says, we need to talk. And she goes on to say, with tears in her eyes, your daughters need you more than ever before. And she felt like a single parent. And at that moment, I mean, I'm getting chills just saying that out loud, but the success that he was looking for and that he had been chasing, the success of a title and turning around a company and the results actually was causing damage in his relationships. And so isn't it interesting that we keep leaning into these cultural definitions of success, it can actually cause problems for us that often we don't even realize until we're experiencing some of these symptoms, right? So for Michael, it was damaged relationships, but there's striving, there's comparison, there's damaged relationships. There's, I, I think this one's so interesting, selfishness, right? Like, are we so laser focused on our own success that we're not actually interested or paying any attention to how we could actually serve and come alongside somebody else to help them achieve some success, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are so many different ways that the spotlight mindset can wreak havoc in our lives, but until we're even aware of it, we can't do anything about it. And what I found is that this whole cultural mentality of like, chase the spotlight, climb the ladder, often it's just not that on the nose, It's not like the commercial is become the most amazing person ever. I don't know, actually, our marketing and and commercials, a lot of times it does say that. (laughs) But but often these messages are so subconscious that it just is seeping its way into our minds and we're being influenced by all of this more than we even really realize. And so it's the awareness of these symptoms. It's the pain that this causes us that causes us to then go look for a solution. So for me, it was anxiety constantly measuring how my life stacked up against others. It's unhappiness. It's this feeling like no matter what I did, it's not enough. So that is really what it's causing in us. And that's why the spotlight mindset, this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition is the thing that I think we all need to identify and then learn how to navigate and ultimately avoid. Well, it's so interesting because it seems like part of the solution that you're talking about is in some ways a sense of contentment yeah. But I think especially in the business and leadership space, there are I've literally heard people say, oh, I'm just never satisfied. I'm never content. And wearing that as like a, a moniker, right? Like wearing that as a badge of honor. Yeah. Like I'm never content. Why is contentment something worth pursuing? And then what does the path look like to actually finding it? Yeah, some people that I know in the secret society are some of the most ambitious, accomplished people that I've ever met. So for me to try to communicate that, You know, to be in the secret society means you need to drop all of your ambition just would not be accurate or true. And it's not even really what I'm advising. But what I would say is check your intentions whenever you're about to do anything. Because I think what happens for us, it's why do you want that thing? And when I was working at StoryBrand, Don and I went to this retreat every year. And it was with a bunch of other people in this space, people who created content intellectual property and then used that you know, to sell into other companies. And, and that's really the business model. And so we were one of those companies. And while we're at this retreat, they would organize the breakout groups according to revenue, which makes sense. Conceptually, it, it makes sense for people who are in a similar size of business to be alongside one another because they're up against the same challenges. They then can share best practices with one another. The CEO of a $1 million company is experiencing very different things than a CEO of a $20 million company. But what I thought was interesting is 
there was this part in me that just had this aspiration to be with larger revenue breakout groups. And you would think that it was because I then would be able to learn from these businesses and then be able to apply some of that learning to our business to make it more successful. But if I'm honest, what was really kind of the motivation for me was I wanted to appear successful to all of these people so that when I'm in this breakout group with the larger companies, I'm able to almost look down on some of these people in some of these smaller companies almost as a way of saying, I now have accomplished more, therefore I'm more valuable, you know, whatever. So what's interesting though is this isn't actually playing out in my actual actions. I'm not like treating these people miserably but it's subconscious. It's actually more in my heart and my mind. And that to me is the beginning of a really unhealthy path. My motivation for these things, these accomplishments was more what then I could gain from it and how I could be viewed and seen by other people. And so I think the important lesson for us here is it's not to squash our ambition, but I think it's more to check our intentions for why we want these things in the first place. Mm, that's so good, Tim. I think that kind of leads into the next question I wanted to ask you too, because it feels like anytime you get into a conversation about motive, you get into a conversation about your heart space and your head space in some ways. And probably the hardest thing to change is the human heart, right? So it's like, I know yeah. this about myself. And I think everyone would say like, man, there are times where I'm just too selfish, or I'm too in love with the spotlight, or I'm too aggressively seeking attention for myself instead of giving credit to others, right? We know that about ourselves. But just because we know that about ourselves doesn't mean we change it. And so I guess I would just ask you, based on the people that you studied, the research that you've done, what does the process look like for shift in that yeah. One of my favorite stories is Tim Cook. And, you know, Tim Cook now is the CEO of Apple. But before he was CEO, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs passes away. And the person who had been groomed to take over is Tim Cook. So Tim Cook is at the launch of the Apple Watch. And this is the first new product in a new category that had been launched since Steve Jobs passing. So they had released other iPhones and computers, but this is a new, brand new product. So at the Apple Watch event, he's interviewed on national television. David Muir asks him, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? If you're Tim Cook in that exact moment, how do you respond? If I'm Tim Cook, I'm probably in an unhealthy version wanting to just show and prove to other people how ready I am to be in that seat, to show them how I'm the man for the job, the man to take them into this new era as a company, it really becomes the Tim show, right? But what Tim Cook models and how he responds, he says, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. Hmm. So you have these people who have success at the highest level, running one of the largest companies in the world, modeling for us, a different way to view our role and to view how we should lead. And what Tim Cook modeled in that moment was, this is not the time to make this about you. And he had all the right to do that. We would all actually kind of expect that, that answer, but he goes in the opposite direction and talks about and gives credit to his team. So for me, as somebody who's looking to others to help show me the way to live, why would I then start to live in a way that's, you know, anything opposite from, you know, what Tim Cook models? I've just seen so many of these people that I really admire 
that are defining success and living and leading differently. And, and these are now the people that I look to to show me a new path forward. So what if? What is that quality? Like it, when, when Tim does that, yeah. And we just like, you get chill, chills hearing that story, right? Like, what is that quality that so deeply resonates with the human spirit that we see that and we just say, that's right. It's that hum- is correct. It's humble confidence. Mm. I think it's humble because he knows he's confident in his role and the value that he offers that he doesn't have to try to prove himself to anybody else. So there's a confidence there, but there's also humility, which is, I'm not proud so much so that I would try to take all of the credit for this success. Because for Tim to try to, you know, take the credit for the success of a product as big as Apple Watch, it, it's, it's ludicrous. That's taken <laughs> hundreds of employees to pull off. Mm. So, so it's, I think it's the, uh, it's the right-sizing of our own impact and the reality that all of us are in this together. It takes all of us to make this thing happen. It's a humble confidence, but it also is looking at his business through the lens of every role matters, every person matters. And for me to try to take all the credit, that's just not the right thing to do. Man, you just used, I guess it would be a verb, (laughs) right sizing, the right size. What is that? Because that is so good. So like, what is right sizing and what is the practice of right sizing actually look like from your perspective? And yeah. I'd love to hear from your experience because I mean, that's how I know you, Tim, right? Is I saw you on this rocket ship ride that was part of the story brand business and y'all just experienced like milestone after milestone after milestone. And it just seemed like every time I would see you or hear people talk about you, it's like, there's just good old Tim and Tim never got too big for his britches. And everyone would always talk about how friendly you were. You just seem very right sized. Like, what does that mean? And how do you do that? You know, I think for me, a lot of it has just come down to falling in love with the work and not so much, you know, chasing this award or this recognition or this validation. And, you know, it's a thing that, that I live in the tension between because, we're all human. We all want attention and recognition and validation for the work that we do. But I, I think for me, a lot of it is just a choice. And so we, a uh, handful of years ago, Don had a book come out called Scary Close. And we're all in the office one day and he got a telephone call from the publisher. And this was about a week and a half after the book had come out. And so we knew this was the telephone call that would be the publisher letting us know if we hit the New York Times or if we didn't. So gets off the uh, gets off the phone call, raises his hands in the air, and he's like, "We hit the list, number five on the New York Times." And so you know we're hugging, high fiving, celebrating this you know pretty significant accomplishment. And then something pretty beautiful happened. We all just went back to work, <laughs> and you know. There's something to me that I love about that, which is we did not celebrate. We, you know, we, we acknowledge the win, but I actually love that we then just kind of got back to it. And I think to me, it was a model of health for all of us, which was we were just going to start creating the next thing and weren't going to be so caught up and consumed with, you know, what we had just been recognized for. So celebrate your wins, do all of that. But I also think the the people that I've been really inspired by are people who seem to just do the work for the love of the work itself. And I think there's a certain humility that that brings because if we're not so focused on results, if we're not so focused on 
you know, what we will gain or achieve as a result of that work, then I think it just allows us to go about doing our work without it being so all about us. And I think that right-sizing, that thinking of ourselves as somebody who just needs to show up and do the work. You know, I love this quote. Howard Schultz says, success is not an entitlement. It has to be earned and it has to be earned every day. And so to me, I've really been inspired by that because I love showing up and doing really great work, but it is a journey that we are on. It is not just one thing that I will ever do that will help me land on some kind of mountaintop. I just don't believe that that mountaintop exists. So falling in love with, with the work itself and you know, finding some contentment in that, I think is the path to you know, starting to check our intentions when we're about to go and do things, but also kind of right-sizing you know, our ability to view ourselves in the appropriate way. It seems like there's something in here about related to the fact that you seem to me pretty intentional about who you choose to admire. And I think it can be like, it can be really easy right now to almost be uh, hypnotized into admiring a cultural view of success and like, oh, like we always call it, we say there's a difference between self-improvement and selfish improvement. And it's admiring mm. selfish improvement, which is everyone drawing attention to themselves and saying like, oh, I want to be that. And you talk about this in your book where it's like, man, there's like kind of out of nowhere, there's this cultural obsession with being famous all the way down to like children. Totally. And, and so can you speak to how you go about like identifying who am I modeling my life after and who am I actually striving to be more like and who am I going to learn from? So I was at the airport with Scott Hamilton once and Scott's a friend of mine. He won an Olympic gold medal in skating. So many people know who he is and I'm in this airport with him and what I thought was so interesting is he was just getting bombarded as maybe a, like too strong, but like he was approached several times on a simple walk from one gate to another and I just got to see how he responded. He was so kind and joyful with every single person that he met he took a picture with every single person. And I get the opportunity to see this, but then I spent a lot of time reflecting on why was that so impactful for me? It's because he just engaged with all these people as though they were the most important person that he's ever talked to, giving them all of the kindness and the attention that often a, lo a lot of other people that we see in, in the media, just they, they don't treat people that same way. So there's this humility about him. So as I reflect on moments like that, as I see clips on YouTube that you know are really inspiring, I, I often ask myself why. I just got goosebumps watching this. Why? So there's another, you know, speaking of YouTube videos, I was watching this video of Indra Nui, who's the former CEO and uh, chairman of PepsiCo, and she would actually recognize her employees in a unique way. She would actually send letters to the employees' parents thanking them for raising such great kids that then are adding value to their company. So I see a video like that and I'm like, holy smokes, whatever most people do, that is not normal, right? And so I see these stories, I'm just so inspired by them. So I ask myself, why? What is it about it? And I try to really just, you know, write down those lessons and, and then any opportunity that I have, I just try to take steps towards that. So what's been such a fun project for me has been in, you know, creating and you know, writing this book, 
I've now identified, you know, the secret society of success. And so my antenna is up to look for people who are doing and living life a little bit differently. And I have my antenna up for those examples. And then I'm trying to just pull the learnings from them and apply them to my life because that is the path that I want to head. Whatever they have, whatever they are doing, that is what I also want to want to go and chase myself. What are the things you're looking for and what are like the external manifestations of the internal heart that you're often picking up on whenever you see these people? I think so much of it is, is really is just, just like posture of service and a mindset that really is, how can I help other people win? Because the spotlight mindset has us thinking about ourselves. And I was at an event in Atlanta, I think it was 2017, I heard Andy Stanley speak. It's so common for us to think about ourselves, to operate from a what's in it for me mindset. And this conference was about, you know, finding your purpose. And Andy starts talking about questions like, what's in it for me? Why am I here? And, and, and actually positions those as the wrong questions, the wrong approach, if we truly want to find our purpose. He says, the question we need to ask instead is, who am I here for? In that question, who am I here for? It requires us to show up at our best, to do our thing, to play our role, but it's actually a mindset shift to actually think about the work that we do as something that we do in service of others. And so I was so inspired by hearing him say that, that I actually went back to my office, created an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And at the top, I write, who am I here for? And on it, I put pictures of all of our team members and their families. Because on the days when I was really busy, when I would be tempted to think only about myself, I was reminded of this great lesson from Andy Stanley that says, who am I here for? And now I get to step into my workday and think, okay, who are we showing up for today? And then I got to make a decision in that moment, was I going to be so focused and stressed around getting all my stuff done or would I be willing to maybe think about how I could help someone else win and how I could be of service to somebody else. And that is one of those things that I feel like is, has come up for me time and time again. You know, if there is a foundation for the way of the secret society, I would, I would say that it's serving others, helping others win. That's at the foundation of all of these other behaviors. So when you think about a Tim Cook story, why doesn't he take the bait? Why doesn't he, you know, revel in the spotlight? Because I think He's more interested in, you know, helping others win and setting his team up for success than he is worrying about himself and, you know, how he'll be perceived. So that serve others approach, I think, is is definitely a common denominator for the secret society. Mm. Was there something that you learned in your research for this book or writing of this book that blew your mind or that has just continued to stick with you? I love this one. So I like basketball. And in 2020... LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA Finals. In the NBA, they give a trophy for that team, right? But they also give a trophy at the end of the season to the scoring leader. And the scoring leader is the, the player who had the highest average points per game. So the points per game average, whoever had the highest, that person wins the scoring leader. That, that, win, that person wins the scoring title. So it's a big deal to be the scoring leader. Michael Jordan won a record setting 10 times. So you've got LeBron James. This guy has all the talent in the world to win the scoring title. But in 2020, the year that he and his team won the finals, he didn't win the scoring title. In fact, he wasn't even in the top five. What I think is just mind-blowing. 
and so inspiring to me is LeBron in 2020 won the assists title. So he led the league in assists, meaning the way that he chose to play and ultimately how he and his team won was not him taking over games, making it about him. He actually was all about the assist. He set his teammates up to win. And I think that is a story that when I saw that pop up on like a ESPN Instagram, you know, poster, whatever, <laughs> I'm like screenshotting that. I'm like, that's it. That is living in the way of the secret society. If LeBron James can do it, I can do it too. So that's what I love is so many of these stories I've been inspired by are people like Michael Collins, who a lot of people never even heard of, but it's also stories of people like LeBron James, which just shows and proves that to live in the way of the secret society has less to do with position or visibility or our place on the org chart and more to do with kind of how we view our life and our career and how we choose to act and behave in that seat, whatever seat that happens to be. So LeBron is, is setting an example for all of us in that. And I feel like if we all could find moments to be all about the assist, I just think we're going to be better off. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Okay, think about so what you did, do, right? What's that? Think, of, what's think that? about what you do. Like your entire company is designed in a way that is to help others be at their best. Like you are mm -hmm. coming alongside business leaders. You are all about the assist. Your success comes when you make other people successful, right? So you are very much living out this, you know, who am I here for mentality. So I don't think that for you, the impact that you're trying to have is that you are seen as famous or, you know, whatever. I think for you, success looks like coming alongside other people as their guide and helping them win. So I just love that the ethos of your company, the business model actually exists to align with a, a, a philosophy and a way of living that I think is just so healthy. So what a gift that is too. And you know how cool that you can actually find that meaning and fulfillment in the work that you do by quite literally helping other people win, serving others. That's what you're all about. Hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. On our best days, we are absolutely all about that. Um, and yeah, it takes a team of people to do that. But I, I think, I mean, one of the things that we always respond with whenever people ask, what do you do? We provide coaching, team trainings, and teaching that help business leaders practice healthy growth. And I, I think that so much of what you're talking about as a model of looking at life and looking at success is really at the core of what it means to practice healthy growth. It means that, okay, well, we're not going to live by everyone else's scoreboard. And I know that that's even a section of your book. To that point, Tim, how does a leader go about creating a culture within their organization where this paradigm or this way of looking at the world is valued, appreciated, reproduced, and recognized? Yeah, I, I think it's true that we, you know, and, and this has been proven out in so many different companies that companies end up becoming a shadow of their leader, right? So it's so important, you know, we're talking to a lot of leaders today. The way that we as leaders operate in function is the model that the rest of our teams are following. And so how do you create this and how do you infuse this into your organization? by first starting with yourself. Are you going to be a leader who actually says, hey, it's a moment for Apple. I don't think about myself that much. Or are you going to take that opportunity and make it about you? 
Because here's the thing, your team is watching. You might not realize that they're watching, but your team is watching. Every decision that you make is a step in one direction. Either you're going to step towards you know, the spotlight mindset, this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition, a selfish way of living and you know, operating, or you head in the opposite direction, which is learning to live in the way of the secret society and making decisions that are kind of headed in that direction. So I, I really do think the first step is you acting and living in this way. But the other thing is, I've really been inspired by this guy named David Novak, and he's the uh, co-founder and former chairman and CEO of Yum Brands. And Yum Brands is the parent company for Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC. And it's, you know, at, at the time when David was running Yum, he you know, had 1.7 million employees, which is just mind boggling. So David grew the business from $4 billion to $32 billion. So what's cool about that is his whole thing, their approach, the culture that they were creating was around recognition, valuing each person's contribution and recognizing people for the work that they were doing to drive results in their business. So, you know, you see something like recognition as a soft skill, but what David has proved is that the soft skills drive the hard results, that this, this ability to lead and, and appreciate people actually sets the table for financial growth and success, which is exactly what's happened. So it's so cool. So the first step would be live this out for yourself. But the second step is start to recognize people in your organization when you see them doing and operating in alignment with the way of the secret society, right? Mm. What are those moments when in their own way, a team member is able to deflect credit and give credit to their team? You pull them aside after that and recognize them for, I see that you just did that. Wow. Because you, it would have been really easy in that moment to try to take the credit but you actually just shouted somebody out for the work that they did, awesome, right? So I think a lot of it is around recognition. Recognizing the values that are important to you and your organization just sets the table for more and more of, of that to happen. So I, I think between those two things, that's gonna start to, to lead you down a pretty you know, good path. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like so much of this is related to having or at least overlaps with having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset in some yeah. ways. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that there is a the scarcity mindset says, why would I help anyone else win? I need to focus about my own growth. I need to worry about that. And there's a sad story that I'll tell you about this. When I was working at StoryBrand, I did all of the hiring. And one day there is a application that came through and on the resume, this particular person had one of my favorite companies listed in their past experience. I couldn't wait to talk to them to find out what it was like to work at this company. If I told you the name of the company, I won't, but if I told you the name of the company, everyone here has heard of it, has likely engaged with it in some way. And so I'm like, okay, tell me everything. What's this whole, like, what was it like to work there? And they said something I'll, I'll never forget. And they said, it's a really competitive environment, but you know, here's the thing, nobody there had your back. I'm like, oh man, what, like, what do you mean nobody there has your back? And they went on to describe that in this competitive environment, they had a scarcity mindset. They're thinking, I need to focus on myself and setting myself up for success 
And to actually do anything that then would set someone else to win may actually hurt my chances. But that is just such a flawed approach. And that's not the way that I want to live. The way that I want to live is more one of abundance, which is I am going to help other people win, period, right? And I'm smart enough and strategic enough to know that if I help other people win, I likely will win myself. But on the unhealthy days, I am helping others so that I then get something in return. That's actually, I would say, in an unhealthy day. I'm helping somebody so that I then get something in return. The healthy days are when I help others win, period, right? I'm Mm -hmm. not so concerned with what will be the byproduct of me helping someone else. I just help someone else win, period. So I agree, this scarcity mindset will kill you But the way that I want to live, the way that I want to define success, the path that I want to head towards, the path that I want to be walking down is one that is helping others win, period. Mm. In some ways, that requires faith, I would say. like It it demands a level of kind of hope in what you can't see to say, like, if I do this, I just have this belief that it's going to work out. Right. And it's not the reason why I'm doing, but I just have this belief. I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not doing a tip for tap thing. It's just like I have the belief that if I do what I know is right, then then I'm going to be OK. I think in that we have to ask ourselves, like, what do you need? What are you what, what is enough yeah. for you? You know, my my friend Steve Mokler has this song called Rather Make a Living. And the chorus says, I'd rather make a living being myself than a killing being someone else. So what he says in that song to me is, are you going to define success for yourself and be confident on that journey, regardless of where it takes you, regardless of how much money you're able to get as a result of it? Mm. Or are you just going to sell out to maybe another way of doing things that may yield that better title, that better you know, salary? So I guess what I would ask is, what do you really need? What, what is success for you? Because I think that for most of us, if I asked you, all right, fill in the blank here, success is, I think mm-hmm. most people would finish that sentence with something other than money, fame, and power. But I think it's important for each of us to actually ask ourselves that question, what is success? How would I fill in that blank? Because how we define success our values, then shape our behaviors. So, so much of this is starting from this moment of, okay, I need to first define success so that then, you know, I'm able to make better decisions that are more in alignment with how I want to live and how I want to define success versus how others are trying to define success for me. Mm. Man, it's crazy because our answer to that question isn't always conscious, but it defines everything. Everything. So many of us maybe don't know the answer to that question, but are living our lives based on the way that we are answering it. And and we're letting essentially the world, marketing, messaging, 
yeah. other people answer that question for us. I man, I didn't really think of this before this conversation, but there was a time, it was a handful of years ago where I I just sat down and I did 17 conversations with 17 strangers and just said, I want to get to know your story, learn from your perspective and get past surface level as fast as possible in a month. And it was just, it was fascinating. Wow. It was I, I like, there's part of me that wants to go do it again because it was remarkable. But one of the questions that I asked every single person was, how do you define success? Yeah. And there were two things that were, one was scary, one was disappointing. The, the scary thing was there were a lot of people that didn't have an answer. And it was crazy because it's like, well, you're waking up every day chasing it. So that's kind of scary that you don't have an answer. And yeah. then the disappointing thing was that there was a lot of people that kind of just equated it to, to happiness. And it just felt very temporal. It didn't feel very substantial ways. But then there's, there's a mentor of mine that I asked that same question that same month. And I'll never forget, he like instantly had an answer. And man, I just asked him, I said, how do you define success? And he instantly said, did I do what God said? Mm. And like, whether you're a believer or not, I, I think the point here is not, is not faith. The point here is like, man, you better have an answer to that question because it's not, I don't think a coincidence that that guy is also one of the most conviction-driven, value-based, loyal leaders I've ever met. It's like, well, that probably is related. You know, yeah. so can you speak to, this is a phrase you used in, in the book. I think it was in the Michael Collins section where you described integrity as internal consistency. Yeah. And so can, can you speak to like, what does this do for you on the inside when you actually take responsibility for answering the question, how do you define success? Yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, when they hear the word integrity, it's like, you know, someone who has good morals, good values, but you know, there's another definition. It's exactly what you just said, internal consistency. So for so much of my life and career, it just felt like the way that I wanted to live and the way that I started to see the secret society act and, and behave was just so inspiring to me, but it felt like I was always up against this other thing. And really now that I have language for it, it's the spotlight mindset, I was leaning way too much into that part of it, setting myself up to win rather than, you know, setting others up to win as an example, right? So that integrity really is, is the way that you're living in alignment with the way that you want to live? And if not, you're just going to feel off. And so another way to say it is, is the way that you're living in alignment with how you actually view success on your healthiest days? That's a great question. Because I think if we're in a posture of gratitude, we're walking into our day with that humble confidence we talked about earlier, how would we answer the question on that day? So that whenever we're in an unhealthy situation, on a day where we're maybe challenged, we can remind ourselves the way that we actually want to live so that the closer we can get to on a daily basis where we're living in integrity with that part of us that actually wants to live in this better definition of success, the more often we're able to do that, the better. So, so often when I was, you know, writing this book and there's days and, you know, sometimes by the hour that I am given the opportunity to chase the spotlight mindset or learn to live in the way of the secret society. This is not a problem to solve. This is a tension to manage. You know, there's not one day that we wake up and we're like, I did it. I don't struggle with the spotlight <laughs> mindset. That, you know, that's just, that's not how this works. We have to learn to live in the tension. 
And so there are moments when we'll be up against this and we have a choice to make. And, you know, often it feels to me, just a visual for this would be like, if you're, if you're in it, if you're up against a challenge, you know, imagine yourself just kind of being in a hole, a, a mental spiral, a rut. And the tools that I offer in this book are really the ladders that I hand to you to help you climb out of that hole, to get out of an unhealthy mindset in that hole back to a healthy mindset. And so my hope in writing this book, and I personally have been using these tools where I can actually get out of these holes so much faster. You know, something that may have gotten in my head and and been a mental spiral leading me down a really unhealthy path for several days or weeks, often I'm able to identify and start to, you know, head in the opposite direction a whole lot faster now. So the hope is that these tools will be used, you know, for me, but also for anyone listening to actually get into a more healthy mindset on a more regular basis. And I think that's the journey. We're not trying to solve this. We're not trying to be perfect because that's just not realistic, uh, you know, for, for what life actually is. Life is learning to live in the tension. But, you know, if we can be leaders, we can be people who make decisions more in alignment with the secret society more often, we're just going to be set up in a better spot. Man, that feels like a great spot to leave it. So with that, I would tell y'all the book, as we mentioned a bunch of times in this conversation, is called The Secret Society of Success. Tim is a brilliant writer. It's a really, it, it's, it's a beautiful book too, in that there's so many quotables and things that you can pull from and just re-reference and go back to. So you and the people that worked on it with you, Tim, just did such a good job. Before we go, final word of encouragement or challenge to the people that are listening today. I love this this quote. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. And that's it. That's the stuff. So may we be people who learn to live in the way of the secret society. And may we be people who learn how to help others win, to define success for ourselves, serve others. That's how I hope that we choose to live each and every day. Mm. Well, Tim, grateful for this message. Grateful for the way that you live it out as well. Thanks so much. Man, thanks for having me. It's been so fun. Well, man, I'm so grateful to Tim for his energy, for his positivity, and for the fact that he is just one heck of a storyteller. I mean, this guy has done his research to identify so many case studies in which people took these principles and put them into action. So, Tim, thank you uh, for investing into our audience, and we're so excited for everything that you're about to go and do. Y'all, real quick, before we go today, you know that every week we send out an email called Worth It Wednesday. That's because I believe most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. So once a week, we try to send you one that is. Every Wednesday, we'll send you a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. It's so cool to see how many of you have joined this growing community and are taking those principles that we present in that short email and putting them into action within your team, within your families, within your communities. It's just awesome to hear. If you want to get on that email list, you can sign up for it at pathforgood.com or at the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength 
is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go.